Have you ever felt like, man, I just missed a big opportunity? I know I have. I've missed a lot of opportunities, actually. Uh, but if you're like me, we never know that we're missing an opportunity until that opportunity is in the rearview mirror. Like, if you're, we normally don't realize it in the moment until the moment has, has passed. And when it comes to that first Christmas, there were some opportunities missed by a whole lot of people. Uh, but we're going to learn today from some very wise men on how we can seize this opportunity this Christmas and not live with that regret. Well, hey, I, I want to say welcome, first of all, to those of you tuning in. My name's Tim. I get the honor of serving as one of the pastors. Uh, we recognize in this season that people are scattered all over the place, scattered across the bay. Some of you are tuning in from, from other states. Some of you tuning in from other countries. But wherever you're tuning in from, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Hey, speaking of Christmas, we, we have our, our Christmas Eve services happening this week on Thursday. They're going to take place. We'll be, be live in the chat this Thursday. Christmas Eve services online only taking place at 3 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. That's, that's Pacific Standard Time. That's California time. So if you're tuning in from another state, uh, another country, uh, man, we have to do some math. But we'll be here on, uh, on 3 p.m., 4.30 p.m. Christmas Eve. We would love to have you. It's going to be a great opportunity for you to invite some friends, invite some family members. Maybe you're, you're, you're gathering for Christmas Eve. It'd be a great opportunity to have kind of a, a watch party and just leverage the season and see what spiritual conversations might come out of that. But I hope you'll tune in. Uh, be live on all those platforms of YouTube, Facebook, as well as live.centralsj.org. And we, we hope to see you there. Well, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, there have been some extraordinary babies born. The tallest baby ever born was born to a mother who was seven feet, 11 inches tall. Her name was, was Hannah Bates and her, her daughter was born and measured a whopping 28 inches. She was born in, in Ohio in 1879, the longest baby recorded ever to be born. The heaviest baby to be born weighed in at 22 pounds and eight ounces in 1955. Can you imagine that? All you mamas out there rocking around with a 22.8 pound baby. That's awesome. Uh, the most babies born in a single pregnancy claimed the headlines in on the 26th of January, 2009, uh, the mother's name was uh, Nadia Solman, and she gave birth to eight babies. And we actually have a picture here that we want to show you of this mama. There she is with all of those babies. She had six boys and two girls delivered at Kaiser Permanente right here in California, Bellflower, California. <laughs> Think about that. Eight babies at one time. The world's records for uh, the, the most babies um, ever that one mom has had. Check this out. One mom, 27 confinements. She gave birth to 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets for a total of 69 kids. One mom, 69 kids. Like <laughs> she's a baby factory. That is amazing. The oldest woman to give birth was 66 years old and 358 days. And we got a picture for you here. She gave birth to twins right before her 67th birthday. I'm just saying, some of you grandmas out there, this could be you this Christmas. Miracles 
miracles happen. Um, they're, they're the most premature birth of babies. The doctor uh, put this in the headlines, miraculous. It was on the 24th of November, 2018, that the Elliott twins were born at Iowa Hospital in the, in the clinics there at Iowa City, Iowa, uh, with a gestational age of 155 days. Or in other words, uh, these babies, these twins right here in the middle, were born 125 days premature. Uh, Keely weighed uh, right here, she weighed, she weighed just one pound and one ounce when she was born. Her sister, Camber, uh, weighed 13.4 ounces. That's essentially the weight of like a co can of Coca-Cola. Like this little baby, miraculous, miraculous, born 125 days early. It's miraculous. And really, all births are miraculous. But there was a birth that took place. One baby born miraculously changed the trajectory of humanity. One baby born and people were there. People knew about it and missed an opportunity to meet this baby that changed the world, grew up to be a man, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, rose again, and, and to memorialize his, his stamp on history, to memorialize how he's still changing lives today, we celebrate this, this global holiday with billions of other people around the globe, this holiday we call Christmas, to celebrate Jesus's birth. Well, today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. I invite you to follow along. Uh, you can open, open your Bible there, Matthew chapter 2. Or if you have it on uh, your mobile device, you can pull that up. And we also have some notes to help, help follow along today. And so if you're watching on live.centralsj.org, you can just click on that tab, notes, and uh, you, can, you can see those there and follow along. Or you can go to our website. If you're listening to this on a, a podcast or maybe later in the week or you prefer to tune in on YouTube, you can find those notes on our website uh, and just, uh, just follow along with us there. You can also email them to yourselves. And we try to uh, make this uh, convenient for you and very applicable bull for your life to reference, reference back to. And so before we dive into the text today, I kind of want to set the stage of what's going on in this book called Matthew. Uh, it's known as the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew uh, was one of the 12 disciples. He was, he was a follower of Jesus. I mean, Matthew, he was there. He was there whenever Jesus uh, gave that sermon on the mount. He was there when he saw the miracles of, of, of people being, uh, who were dead being raised to life, of, of people not having appendages and, and them miraculously growing back, lepers having their skin disease healed right in front of him. Matthew was there. He saw it all. He was an, eye, he was an eyewitness. And Matthew wrote this book to a Jewish audience. The Gospel of Matthew is primarily intended for, for like Matthew's people, for, for, for Jewish people. And, and he highlights to this Jewish audience that Jesus is the real Messiah, that this baby born in Bethlehem is the king. Like he's the long-awaited Messiah and he's finally arrived. So Matthew points back to more Old Testament prophecies than any other letter in the New Testament to confirm to a Jewish audience that these have been fulfilled in Jesus. He's here. The long await of Messiah has arrived. And there's a lot of, a lot of themes throughout uh, Matthew's gospel, but the primary theme, all other themes are secondary to this one theme, that Jesus Christ is king. 
He talks about his kingly reign. He mentions uh, the kingdom of heaven. He's the only author in the New Testament to mention the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew points to it 32 times. 32 times he talks about this. And and just a a little side note here. If Jesus is the king, it means that he also has a kingdom. And if if Jesus is the king and he has has a kingdom and he invites us to be a part of it, then then, then that, that means that Jesus isn't a Republican. Jesus isn't a Democrat, he's not a libertarian, he's, he's not an independent, like, like Jesus stands alone in solitude of himself and as kingdom subjects, as sons and daughters of the king, living in this kingdom. Man, let's, let's identify with that more than any other label that we could ever place on ourselves or have anyone else place over our lives. Let, let's live as kingdom subjects because here's the good news. He is the king and the king is coming again to bring back his own and bringing his reward with him. Well, when we, we look at Matthew, we could actually outline the entire book of Matthew uh, like this, highlighting that he is he is the king. Uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but we can see the, the king's advent at first, then the king's authority, then the king's agenda, and then the king's adversaries, then the king's administration, then the king's atonement, and then the, finally the king's assignment. And he certainly has given us a wonderful assignment. The king has given us a mandate, an assignment to go, to go live out. But today we're going to focus on the advent of the king, the arrival of the king. And so this Christmas, let's just remember that, that he's king. Whatever's stressing you out, he's king over that circumstance. Whatever, whatever's kept you awake last night, he's bigger than that situation. Whatever may have derailed your Christmas plans in 2020, listen, he, Jesus Christ, he's, the, he's bigger. He's bigger than all of that. And so we're gonna look at uh, the arrival of these these men known as wise men, and, and we're going to discover, what, like, why are they even in the Christmas story? What do they have to do with Jesus being the king? So let's, let's turn now to, to Matthew chapter 2, and let's read verses 1 through 2. Uh, here's what it says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or, or wise men is what it says in some of your Bibles. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and we have come to worship him. These wise men from Eastern lands arrive in Jerusalem at the time Jesus is born with one purpose in mind, one goal, one objective, to worship him. Now, <laughs> who are these wise men? Where did they come from and like, why do they show up? And, and why is Matthew the only gospel account to, 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 to make note that these men came into Jerusalem right after the birth of Jesus? How did they know to look for Jesus? How did they know to look for a Messiah? Well, few Bible stories are as well known and yet shrouded with so much mystery as the wise men or the, the magi that, that Matthew mentions in his gospel account It was during the Middle Ages that legends developed that they were kings, that they were three in number, that their names were Caspar, Balthazar, and Macolor. Because they were thought to represent the three sons of Nora, uh, one of them is often depicted as an Ethiopian. Uh, Check this out. Uh, uh, 
the half uh, the 12th century, a bishop of Cologne claimed to have found their skulls. Now, in the 12th century, I'm not sure how you identify like, oh, those must be the wise men in the Bible because I found their skulls and like maybe they like had their retinas burned out from the, the star that they saw. I don't know. But like there's been a lot of claims about these men. But the reality is this, that the only facts that we know about these particular magi are the few facts that we find in Matthew's gospel account that we we just read. And we're not told their number, we're not told their names, uh, we're not told their means of transportation into Palestine or the specific country or countries from which they, they came. Uh, and so, so who are these men? What, how, how did they know to arrive here? And, and I have some speculations and, and read some commentaries and some scholars that, that make a pretty strong case. And I wanna share that with you with you today, just so next time you look at that manger scene, those, those wise men will have a little bit more meaning. And, and some of you, 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 you relish history, you enjoy digging the layers behind the text and understanding the history of what's transpiring there. And, and if that's you, you're gonna love this. And if, if that's not you, just hang on, because we're gonna tie a bow on all this in just, just a few minutes and make some observations here. Uh, but but, but I, I think it goes all the way back to this guy by the name of, of Daniel. When we come to the book of Daniel, there's this king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a man who's, who's very prominent. He's very powerful. And he's, he's, he's over this, this kingdom of Babylon. And king, the Babylonians had actually sacked Israel at this time. And they've exported, they've, they've taken captive some, some of the smartest and the brightest men and women of Israel. And they've deported them to Babylon. And, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar has a problem because he's had a dream and it's a disturbing dream. And he's not sure what it means. And so he goes to these magi, he goes to these, these wise men. And one of the exiles of Israel is actually among the wise men of Babylon because of his, his, his wisdom, because of his prowess, because of his, his insights. And so he's in this elite camp of wise men. And now Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, but Nebuchadnezzar seems not so sure about the wise men. He's not so sure that they're legit. And so what would typically take place, and it has for, for centuries prior in Babylon and in these other Eastern lands, is that whenever a king or a noble or a dignitary, some high-ranking official has a dream, they would call upon the wise men. And they would say, hey, hey, I need a wise man. I've had a dream. The wise men would say, absolutely, tell me what the dream was. And these wise men at the time, they had dream libraries, very extensive libraries that archaeologists have actually un unearthed. And, uh, and in those libraries are just documents of dreams, past dreams from previous kings and the results of those dreams. And so what would happen is a king would come, here's my dream, wise men goes back, he looks in the library and, uh, and he comes back with a report of, hey, here's what we think the interpretation of your dream is. Now, these wise men, they're, they're known as magi. Uh, we get our word magician from the word magi because of their practice in the, in the occultic practices of, of sorcery and divination. And, and they would try to tap into the spiritual realm to get insights for these dignitaries or these noble officials that they were trying to interpret the dream for. However, in the book of Daniel, this guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar doesn't believe it all. He doesn't buy into it. And so that's where we pick it up in Daniel chapter 2, verse five and six. Uh, the king replied to the astrologers. Now, the astrologers, that's a, that's a kind of a synonym for these magi, these wise men, because they're, they're practicing the arts of astrology and astronomy and, um, and kind of the, the mysterious things of, of our world. Uh, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, 
I will have you cut to pieces and your houses turned to piles of rubble. Not, not a good deal for the Magi. Verse six, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards of great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now this is a real problem for these, these wise men because if they don't, like interpreting a dream is one thing, but knowing what someone dreamed and then offering an interpretation is like next level. And so these wise men, these magi are like, what you're asking for is ridiculous. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, fine, well, I'm gonna cut you to pieces and I'm gonna turn your houses to piles of rubble. Not a good deal. And so then let's pick it back up in Daniel chapter two, verse 48, because lo and behold, there is a, a prophet, a man of faith from the land of Israel among the ranks of these wise men. And here's what he says in Daniel chapter two, verse 48. Daniel replied, uh, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries he's asked about. Like it's, this is ridiculous, but here's the good news. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So Daniel tells the king his dream, and lo and behold, it's right. And then he gives an interpretation of that dream. How would you like to have Daniel's job? Oh man, a lot at stake. And then Daniel chapter two, verse 48 says this. Here's the results of Daniel telling the king the dream. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire providence of Babylon and placed him, check this out, placed him in charge of who? All the wise men, all the wise men. So now what you have is this captive, this man of faith from the land of Israel in captivity in Babylon over these, these, these advisors to the king, over these, these powerful men known as the wise men who would, would counsel the king, who would, who would be, be leaders in this, this land. And I just would submit to you that perhaps it is through this prophet by the name of Daniel as these wise men are sitting under his leadership, as these wise men are, are learning from his teaching. And Daniel has this gift of prophecy. Like you read the book of Daniel, it's a very prophetic book. It's, it's predicting things that will happen out in the future. And no doubt Daniel was late waiting for this long awaited Messiah. And surely he was teaching these wise men that were, were under his care, placed in the, the highest honor in Babylon, over the providence of Babylon, telling them about the Messiah that was to come and the signs that would accompany it. So that 635 years later, when Jesus arrives on the scene, these wise men, because of the faith of Daniel and the providence of God in the midst of being exiled in a tough situation, show up on the scene that first Christmas. And what are they asking for? Where's the one who's been born? The king, the king of the Jews. Now, it, the wise men or magi were, were people of authority, not only in Babylon, but they were also prominent in the Persian empires. Historians tell us that no Persian was ever able to become king without mastering the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi and becoming uh, be, through the Magi, they would approve and crown the kings of this age. They were kingmakers, in other words, of this day in the, in the Persian, the Medo-Persian empires, as well as in 
the Babylonian empires. And not only that, but they also largely controlled the judicial appointments. And uh, we actually see this in Esther. In Esther chapter 1, uh, verse 13 through 14, says this, that since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of the law and justice, he spoke with who? The wise men, the wise men who understood the times. And check this out. They were the closest to the king. And then he lists their names. Uh, these are seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king. And then look at this. They were the highest in the kingdom. These kingmakers, the, these men of influence, these magi show up to the scene in Matthew chapter 2. Why? Because Matthew wants you to know that Jesus Christ is the king. And so in God's providence, he has these kingmakers arrive at the birth of the king. Now, these are often depicted, these wise men or magi are often depicted in our, in our nativity scenes as like three dudes that roll in on camels and, uh, and show up with like some cool gifts to give Jesus. Um, and not to like blow up your nativity scene idea, uh, but these were, were men of great power. These were men of great wealth and they wouldn't have traveled alone. Historians tell us that they would have likely traveled with a detachment of soldiers from whatever kingdom that they were coming from. They probably had mounted cavalry. They would have had servants with them. And so this would have been a, a, at least like upwards of 100 to 500 men and servants coming into Jerusalem looking for the king. These kingmakers of eastern lands arriving, wanting to know where the king of the Jews is located. And that's why whenever we read Matthew chapter two, verse three, that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, three men on camels don't cause a whole lot of disruption, but whenever you have kingmakers from, from Eastern lands, and we don't know if it's from, they're from Babylonia, we don't know if they're from Persia, we don't know, we don't know where they're from, but these, these magi, the Bible tells us, these wise men roll into town and they're looking for a king and it's obviously not King Herod. And here's what you need to know about King Herod. He, he was a very successful man. He was a, a great architect. Like he built structures uh, like Masada that are still standing in Israel today. He, he did a lot of great things and time doesn't allow us to go into a whole lot of detail, but, but, but King Herod had a fight and scrap and scrape to get this position as king in, in Israel. Uh, he, he knows he's standing on a religious and political powder keg. And we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about that, but, but things aren't going well for King Herod. And now these, these king makers roll into town and they're looking for the king and it's not Herod. And so therefore, not only is Herod disturbed, but all of Jerusalem with him because King Herod is a cruel man. He's a wicked man. He has his own kids killed because uh, he suspects that they're trying to usurp him and take his, take his power he was so jealous, in fact, that the, the Roman emperor, Augustus, once joked, it would be better to be Herod's pig than his own son. It was uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, who tells us that whenever Herod knew that he was coming close to, to his death, that he had all, all the nobles, all the, the dignitaries, all the, the men and people of influence, people beloved in this, this nation of Israel, these Jewish people, he, he had them all gathered into one place in prison. And he said this, at the time of my death, kill all of these people that this nation of Israel love. 
Because while they will not mourn for me and my death, they will mourn on the day of my death. That's why all of Jerusalem was disturbed along with him. And, and honestly, it's understandable. It's understandable why, why Herod's disturbed. It's understandable why, why, why the people of Israel were disturbed. And we actually, we actually read this in, in Matthew chapter 2 and verse verse 16, and uh, it's the results of this encounter. It says this, when Herod realized that, that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Can you imagine I mean, Christmas 2020 looks a whole lot different for us, but, but I'm just saying the first Christmas, there was genocide. The first Christmas, there was political tensions. The first Christmas, there was a whole lot of gossip. The first Christmas, there, there were challenging, challenging times. Herod was not a man to, to be messed with. And so the wise men arrive. Hey, here's what's taking place. Wise men arrive. They're looking for the king of the Jews. Herod's concerned. He, he's jealous. And now all of, all of Israel's like in Jerusalem's like jealous and concerned along with him. And then we read this in, in verse four, and we could just label this as the apathy of the religious. It says this, when he, that being Herod, had called uh, together all the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who, shepherd, who, will, be my, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found uh, from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to, to Bethlehem and he said to them, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, obviously Herod, he's not interested in, in worshiping him. He, you, we just read like he's willing to kill like everyone in the region to get to him. Uh, he wants to take him out because of his, his jealousy. But I want to highlight here, like how about those religious people? How about a missed opportunity that first Christmas? Like they, they, they knew where to go. Like, like they, they, they knew where the baby Jesus was gonna be born, where the Messiah would arrive and they do nothing. And then verse nine, we see this, the response of the wise men and their worship of, of the king. It says, after they had heard the, the, the king, uh, they went on their way and the star that they had seen rose again and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house where the child and his mother, Mary, were, they bowed down and they worshiped him. I just wanna pause here and make note of a couple things. They're, they're coming to a house uh, and to see where the child was. And I just say that to say like, like Jesus is no longer a baby. Uh, a lot of times in our nativities, like the wise men are there at the manger, but they didn't, they didn't go to the manger. Uh, at this time, Jesus is probably between the ages of one and three uh, years old. And he is, he's a little bit older and they go and they it says they, they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they didn't like just play Hillsong music. They didn't just like sing a little worship song. They didn't sing, sing Silent Night. Uh, they offered him elaborate, extravagant, expensive gifts. It says they, they opened their treasure chest. They presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
I just want to make three quick observations as we, we wrap up our time here. Uh, three quick observations. The first observation is this. God is in control of history, even 2020. God is in control of history, even 2020. As a matter of fact, why don't we say that together? Like wherever you are, whether you're watching this by yourself or in a room full of family, let's say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. God is in control of history, even 2020. <laughs> even, even 2020. I mean, when you think about, about the reality of, of Daniel, uh, being taken into captivity in, in Babylon and, and being placed in the, the leader over these wise men, over these, these magi, all for this purpose that and the fulfillment of time, 635 years later, that these, these kingmakers of the time would roll into Jerusalem looking for one person, the king of the Jews, to be confirmation to the, the nation of Israel, to be confirmation once again to the world that Jesus Christ is king. I'm just saying like God is over time and space and his providence, his wisdom, his knowledge, his sovereignty. It knows no boundaries. God is in control of history. The second response or second observation we want to make is, is the three responses that we see to Jesus' birth. Three responses to Jesus' birth. And, and I would just submit to you that these three responses not only took place uh, at Christmas whenever Jesus was born, but I believe these three responses are still at play in our world today. And let's, let's check them out. The first is the response of, of Herod. And he responds with hostility towards Jesus. And I'm just saying, like, there's some people that still respond with hostility today, right? Like, it's not, it's no longer Merry Christmas, it's Happy Holidays. Like, it's no longer a Christmas bonus, it's the end of the year check. It's no longer, it's no longer a Christmas break, it's winter break. I'm just saying, in the hearts and minds of people, there's still quite a bit of hostility in the hearts of, of people. And, and really, some of you, honestly, you can, some of us respond with hostility to this season. The second response, and this is probably my most my greatest concern for some of you watching this, my greatest concern for me, my greatest concern for my kids, the greatest concern I have for Central Christian Church is that we could be labeled as religious people who respond with apathy to the realities of Christmas. And here's the reality, like, there's danger here, right? Because why was Jesus born? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Like, you know why. Well, what about Mary and jo Like, you know the story. Like we ask questions, like we can give answers. But the reality is that we can allow our hearts to grow cold in this season. And with, with everything surrounding us, just like the religious people of the day, like they knew, they knew where the Jesus was, Jesus was supposed to be born. We, they knew where the Messiah was going to come. They, they told the Magi, you can go on a journey to Bethlehem and you can find him there. But they didn't go. And I'm just saying, you can have a fresh encounter with God. And some of you know that. But my question is, would you take the journey and go there? Would you get up a little bit early and, and call out to God? Because he, here's what he says. You call to me, I'm going to answer you. Would you open up his word because his, his word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It can, it can pierce our hearts as a mirror to show us where we're struggling. And God will speak to us. The God of heaven will talk to you. And you know that. I can know that. But are we doing it? I'm just saying, let's not be apathetic people this Christmas. Let's lean in. It's Jesus' birthday. And I think more than anything else, he probably just wants to spend some time with you. Lean in there. Let's not be people who respond with apathy. Let's not be like those people who look back on the first Christmas and remember, like, they, they knew the Magi came. The kingmakers came. They didn't go. 
Imagine if you were that religious person. Missed opportunity. Let's not look back on Christmas 2020 because of some pandemic, because of some, some new regulations in our county. Let's not look back on, on Christmas Eve because we have to be online. Let's not look back on this season and say, we missed an opportunity. Listen, God is willing to meet with you if you're willing to meet with him. Let's not be apathetic this Christmas. Christmas is about having a fresh encounter with the king and celebrating all that he is. And the only one that can stop us from doing that is ourselves. And then finally, the third response is the wise men who, who respond with worship and adoration of the king. Like they respond with sacrifice. They, they go on this journey to find the Messiah. They, they saw the star, they followed it. They took big steps of faith. And when they find him, what do they do? They worship him. Elaborate, extravagant, expensive gifts. They lay at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he's the king and the king is worthy. The third and final response is that Jesus is king. Matthew's trying to tell us that over and over. The wise men, they, they come into Jerusalem with this one message that's resounded throughout history and lands in our eardrums today. Jesus Christ is king. Where's the one who's been born? King of the Jews. When I think about Jesus being king, I cannot help but remember and think about this piece by a, a pastor by the name of S.M. Lockridge who, who, who preached, that's my king. And some of you, maybe you've heard this, and some of you, maybe this will be their first time, but whether this is your first time hearing this or maybe your, your hundredth time hearing this, I just invite you in this Christmas season to open up your hearts once again and let's respond with childlike faith to all that our king is because Jesus Christ is king. So I wanna read you this excerpt from S.M. Lockridge's sermon. The Bible says that my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel and he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven and he's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and, and that's my king. And, and I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king and no means can measure and can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperally powerful and he's impartially merciful. And do you know him? Well, he's the greatest phenomenon to ever cross the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled and he's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy and he's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. And he's the only one qualified to be an all sufficient savior. And I just wonder this Christmas, do you know him? Well, he supplies strength for the weak and he's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives the sinner. He discharges the debtor. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. And I wonder, do you know him today? Well, he's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness and he's the gateway to glory. And do you know him? 
Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And he, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible and he's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. And that's my king. That's my king. And that's a great question. I wonder, do you know him today? Because the reality is you can know him. Right here, right now, I believe he's willing to meet with you. And so wherever you are, in this Christmas season, there's no greater gift that you could receive than, than receiving the Holy Spirit into your life, to knowing that your, your sins, past, present, and future have been dealt with on the cross, all because of what took place at Christmas. Jesus is Emmanuel. That simply means he's God with us. And you can navigate 2021. You can navigate the remainder of 2020 knowing that Emmanuel, the God who created the universe, he is, he's with you. He desires relationship with you. And really that's why Jesus came to bridge this gap between humanity and God. The reality is I've blown it. You've blown it. We've all made mistakes. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we, we've fallen short. And the reality is God's holy. And he can't, can't be in the presence of sin. And so what's, what's the solution? Well, Jesus, he comes, God comes in the form of a man, born of a manger, born of a virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, and paid the penalty in that moment on a cross for all your sins. So that now the, the, the gap can be bridged and you can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. You say, well, that's pretty ridiculous. And I agree, that is ridiculous. It's radical, but it's real. And it can all begin in a moment. The Bible says this, that if you believe in your heart that, that, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins on a cross and you believe that God raised him from the dead and you confess that with your mouth, that, that, that you can be saved. It's an act of faith. And that could all take place this Christmas. So if that's you and you say, man, I've, I've thought about this and, and I'm ready to go all in and, I, and that, that does cost everything. Like it doesn't involve making Jesus the, the CEO of your life and allowing him to call the shots moving forward. The Bible calls it repentance. It's basically saying like, I'm going to turn my life around. I was, I was going this way, doing whatever I want to do. Now, God, I realize who you are. I realize you're the king. And so I'm going to treat you like you're the king. I'm going to let you call the shots in my life. From this day moving forward, that can be your reality. And it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be time we make mistakes, but this is just a moment to say, Jesus, I want that. I want to go all in with you. That's you, it'd be my honor to lead you in a simple prayer that I believe can be transformative in your life whenever you say it from the depths of your heart. So if that's you, you wanna, you wanna become a follower of Jesus today, I invite you to say a simple prayer with me like this. Simply say, God, I realize I've blown it. I know I've made some mistakes. And God, I know that, uh, that that sin can't be in your presence, but I'm thankful for Christmas because Jesus came and I believe he, he paid the fine, the penalty for my sins on that cross so that I can, I can be free. And Jesus, I believe it didn't just end on a cross, but that you, you rose again. So God, because you're alive, I'm asking you to come alive in my life. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to give me a fresh start. Now you say this to him, I recognize you're the king. And because you're the king, I'm gonna let you call the shots from here on out. Today, God, I surrender my life to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if that was your prayer, that was your commitment today, I just want you to know, man, all of heaven is celebrating with you. The Bible tells us that. I want you to know that all of us in the central family are celebrating with you as well. Best decision you could ever make. And we, we just believe that no one should go on that journey alone. And so we want to help however we can. I, I assume you've got some questions about, about next steps. And, and so however we can help, we want to. You can simply text us at 408-944-5402 if we can help you in any way. Maybe you say, I'm not ready to make that spiritual commitment, but I got questions and I like to, I like to get some answers to the question. Man, it'd be our honor to help answer some of those questions. And we might not have all the answers, to be honest with you, but we can help go on a journey with you to try to discover some of those. Now, obviously, if, uh, if you're out of, out of country or maybe email would just be easiest, you can always email us at info at centralsj.org.